Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. So this morning, we're going to be in Ezra chapter 5. The last time we looked at the title was Facing Opposition. And the children of Israel, they're trying to do God's will. He asked them, build a temple. It's my temple. I want to be glorified. You know, do this ministry. Do this work. And they did. And then they faced opposition. And then they quit. They took a break. And things got spiritually stale. And you know what? If you think about it, Sometimes when we face opposition, we're tempted to quit. We're tempted to give up. But remember, if God is in it, we should keep going. We should keep trusting him, right? Today's message is getting back on track with God. And the children of Israel, they had this situation where they were taken captives and taken to Babylon. The Persians, right, start to rule. They defeat the Babylonians. They have mercy on the Jews and start sending them back. They go from expatriation to repatriation down to Judah, Jerusalem, and some scattered through Israel. Really neat history lesson. And the Jews now have to come back to their homeland after many decades of not being there, and they've got to start all over again. Ruins, things are burned with fire, neglect. So they have hardship. Hardship acquiesces to stability. All right, things are starting to get good here. Things are stabilizing. Stability acquiesces to prosperity. Prosperity now acquiesces to spiritual apathy. Hence the plague of Western Christianity. So much prosperity. So much, we live so differently than the rest of the world. But sometimes it can take our focus off of God. And if we're honest with ourselves as Christians, we do have our ups and downs. But what do we do? Yes, they had their issue. But what do we do when we when things get stale with God. It's not on his end. He's still the same awesome God. The problem is sinful flesh. The problem is on our end. So I want to encourage you that if you're here this morning and you thought, gee, I haven't been to church in a while. I don't take attendance, okay? And, you know, I got to start reading my Bible. I got to start praying again. I, I feel like things are getting stale. I want you to be blessed because it's just where we are in Scripture, the sermon title, Getting Back on Track with God. I really hope that you're blessed in a mighty way after you hear today's message. And we're going to look at this in six parts. So the first verse, it says, Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedach, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. So the first part is the resumption of the temple reconstruction. So here's the, so here's the question, because two verses, really a lot happens in two verses. You know, this building project took a break for like 14, 15 years. Now all of a sudden they're resuming building. Number one, why was the prog project stagnant? And two, how did it get going again? Well, it was multifold. It was a multifold problem. So we see that there was opposition before, from Israel's enemies. There was spiritual opposition. The enemies got the ear of the government and turned them against the Israelites. And discouragement from within led to apathy. 
In addition, some, again, settled back, started to prosper, and they forgot about God. Everyone's in different stages in their walk with the Lord. You know, every second is a snapshot in time. Where are we at each second? Our walk is dynamic. We're either really close to the Lord and on fire for the Lord, or we're maybe estranged from the Lord. I just want to ask you today, or I just want to encourage you, if that's you, don't be guilt-ridden. Because as the saying goes, God allows U-turns. That's an awesome thing. We're going to see by the end of this sermon that those that did turn back and did move from their stagnation into a relationship again with God, he didn't beat them up over it. He rejoiced, and they rejoiced. And there's a great celebration, and we'll check that out. So I want to really encourage you this morning. So what do we see happens? In the context is the prophets Haggai and Zechariah and Zerubbabel and Joshua, those two were really good leaders. But these two prophets had to come in and shake things up a little bit. So I'm going to read Haggai 1. Actually, Pastor Paul taught Haggai 1, and the title was Consider Your Ways. It was a great message. And it says this. It's amazing how the Bible just comes together and, you know, triangulates and all agrees, all the books agree with each other. It says, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, Now God tells his prophets, Speak to the people, speak to the leaders, and God almost gives this dialogue between himself and his people. Now, did these people actually say these words? Maybe not, but they did it with their actions. So God is saying this. This people says to me, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. God said the time did come. The people saying, no, the time's not here. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, well, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one else is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put in a bag with holes in it. God is saying, I'm not blessing what you're doing. You're striving and striving and trying to be successful, but you've forgotten about me. So I'm not in it. And this is why you spin your wheels. And sometimes we think about that today in American culture. We're spinning our wheels, spinning our wheels, spinning our wheels, and we wonder, 10 years, 20 years go by, and we say to ourselves, where am I? Who am I? What's my, what's my role in life? In, unless you're tied into God, it's just going to be a worldly thing. We change jobs, we change relationships, we change geography. doesn't make a difference. All those things, they just come and go. And then people are still unfulfilled. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build a temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I call for a drought on the land and the mountains and the grain and the new wine and oil and whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the 
And Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet and the Lord their God had sent them, and the people feared or reverenced or respected the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke to the Lord's message, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. See, that's the beautiful thing about God. People have this anxiety about God. They have this anxiety about, oh, I've sinned, and, you know, and we let these thoughts permeate. And what we do is we drive ourselves further from God with our fears and our worries of rejection. That's not the God we serve. At any moment, snapshot in time, where you decide, I want to get right with the Lord, then the Lord starts blessing them. He doesn't hold it over their head. He doesn't smack them in the back of the head. He's a good and loving God. I know sometimes religion can teach an angry God. He's always angry. You know, he's always looking to hit somebody. He's an abusive parent. It's not so. And we'll see that by the end here. But the people made excuses. And, and you know, we had a, our missionary from Latvia here on Wednesday, and he talked about those that speak Christianese. And they were speaking Christianese, although Christianity didn't come yet. And they were saying, it's not God's timing. You hear that sometimes. Oh, it's not God's timing. God says, I want you to do something. It's really important to me. Oh, it's not God's timing. And that's a way for sometimes Christians to not respond to what the Lord is calling them to do. They make excuses, and it sounds good. It sounds like it came from the Bible, but it's really not, right? God says, go, go to the, the forest, get some wood, start building my temple, work. Now, Zechariah, I'm not going to read Zechariah, but he focuses on the heart behind the actions. Haggai looks at the actions, Zechariah focuses on the heart behind the actions. You know, the Jews had good leaders, but they needed a little bit more help in motivating the people. In the military, we'd say, we, we need air support, we're deadlocked. Two armies are deadlocked. We're not getting anywhere. Call down air support. And God sent Haggai and Zechariah to help them out. You know, maybe the, the people were obstreperous. You know, they were obstructionists. And the, the leaders were maybe frustrated. And they gave in to apathy too. Oh, you just can't motivate these people. Moses struggled with that. And Haggai and Zechariah come in and say, listen, we're gonna, this is fresh. This is from the Lord. You guys got to get moving again. You see what I'm saying? Verse 2, the prophets get done preaching and prophesying. Then what do they do? They roll up their sleeves. They get callous on their hands. They get their robes dirty. And they start helping with the building project. I love that. I'm not a fan of ministries where the ministry leaders are looked at as royalty, celebrities, elites. And sadly, there's an element in the church that wants to be abused by this type of leadership. No. The, even the prophets, they got done prophesying, mission accomplished, and then they started working and they started helping. Just sometimes I read things and I just love what I read. It's just an amazing thing. You know, in ministry, and I've said this before, especially in a, not a church that's not huge, if you're in ministry, you're a generalist. There's no, it's not my job. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We, we wear many hats in this church because, you know, we don't have the redundancy of, of help. Uh, everybody does something and then some. So verse 3, we continue. At the same time, Tatnai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar, Bosnai, and their companions came to them and spoke to them, says thus to them, who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? He's a leader. He's going, whoa, whoa, whoa. I hear a lot of bang, 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 chip, chip, chip stuff, walls. Are, what's, what's going on here? Right? 
Then accordingly, we told them the names of the men who were constructing this building. Right? They, were, they were good citizens, the Jews. Five, but the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews so that they could not make them cease. They couldn't make them stop building until a report could go to Darius, who's the king. Then a written answer was returned concerning this matter. I'm going to get into that. So two out of six is there's initially some opposition by Tatnai, the governor. Now, Tatnai was a regional leader. In the New Testament, not many centuries from this point, uh, we see tetrarchs, we see ethnarchs, we see quintarchs. You know, they had a, a, a swath of geography that they had to lead and report back to the king. They were intermediate leaders. We're going to find out that Tatnai, I don't believe he's a believer, but he's an awesome guy. And I'm going to throw some lessons in in leadership that we could learn from him. He has two concerns. Number one, to balance the interests of his subjects. And he also had to balance the interests of his king. If Tatnai made the wrong decision, it could have huge implications. Think about this for a moment. Look at the, um, for those of you that follow world affairs, Jerusalem, there's the Temple Mount. There's the ruins in the valleys of the stones from the first and second temple. There's the Islamic sites. There's the Wailing Wall. And you have Muslims and Jews and different religions come up there. And there's armed security because there's high tensions. Just imagine if we look on the news today and all of a sudden some crew is coming up with you know, a, a thing of stones and, and caterpillars and, and you hear all this construction equipment and they start building the temple without permission. Could you imagine the bloodbath? So take that understanding, bring it back to here. It was very similar. Whoa, 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 whoa. The enemies are like, well, what are they doing? Well, we don't like this. Tat and I, you better go check that out. A few things going on. We talked about this last Sunday when I gave you the list of all the kings in Persia. And I have a lot of fun going through the old chronology of the kings and who took over and what these kings did. It's all in the history books. King Darius, when he took over the throne, had a lot on his hands. He had to deal with an imposter who had the throne before him. The aristocracy kills the imposter. Darius takes the throne. And let me set that setting for you. He's focused on a worldly agenda, and rightly so from his perspective. However, God had his own agenda, which was much more important than what Darius was concerned about. The, the, the first temple was destroyed. The, te the you know, 70 years of captivity, it had to come to a close. So you got the first temple destroyed, the second temple built. You really have a period of 70 years. You have the first uh, expatriation of the Jews, a slave, send them to Babylon. 70 years later, the first wave comes back, 70 years. God said 70 years, and then the punishment will be up. So the, the God's timetable was much more important than the king's timetable. So the Jews had to take a step of faith and build and trust God. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we have to take that step of faith. You know, God has called us to do something. You know it. You've been praying. He's speaking to you. Other people see a calling in your life. And we either take a step of faith or keep making excuses. For those of you that know the history of the church here and the people that many years ago who were running it and, and, and leaving disgrace, and, and I'm asked, do you want to, I was an elder, do you want to be the pastor? whoa, no way, <laughs> this is messy, <laughs> this guy just leaves, and I don't even know the first thing about, I know how to teach the Bible, I, I've trained, but the whole running a church thing was scary to me, but God had 
really impressed upon me to take a step of faith. And I hemmed and hawed. So I, if you think that you're going to hear from this pulpit, oh, we're, we're perfect, we do everything. No, you're not going to hear that. You know, the Lord had to really work on my heart and certainly my wife. And um, then I said yes, and that was the interim. And eventually, it, it was tough in the beginning. But sometimes God is going to call you to take a step of faith. And you're going to look at the circumstances and say, <laughs> in your flesh, you're saying this is going to be really rough. But in your spirit, you're, going to, you're saying to yourself, I know it's right. But who are you going to listen to? The flesh or the spirit, right? And, and these are very simple things that we could deal with um, in our everyday life that he can impress upon us. And the Jews had to also be respectful, right? Verse 5, it said that God's eye was on the elders, and he was on the building project. And it's amazing because Tat and I, I like to kind of almost role play a little bit. Tat and I comes to the construction site. He starts asking questions. Well, who's doing this? And who gave you this authority? What's going on? And Tat and I doesn't say, hey, guards, shut them down. Take their hammers away. Take their sledgehammers away. Take the mortar away from them. He says what he has to say. He gathers information and he leaves. <laughs> and they keep building. He doesn't tell them to stop. So I find that fascinating, verse 5, how God, he was, he was in this. Verse 6, this is a copy of the letter that Tatnai sent. So Tatnai, this intermediate ruler, sends this letter. As a matter of fact, Tatnai, you can look it up in, in your history books, Tatnai, the world recognizes him as this secular leader. You know, how we know the Bible's true? Not that we need archaeology and, and um, history to confirm what we believe, but it always does. It always, there's actually a, it was a book, a periodical called Biblical Archaeology. It's all about archaeological finds that reinforce what the Bible says. So there's a copy of the letter that Tatnai sends to Darius. The governor of the region behind the river and Shesh, Shethar, Bosnai, and his companions, the Persians, who were in the region beyond the river, to Darius the king. They sent a letter to him in which was written thus, to Darius the king, all peace. Let it be known to the king that we went into the province of Judea to the temple of the great God, which is being built with heavy stones and timber is being laid on the walls. <laughs> king, you need to know the details of this building project. And this work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke thus to them, who commanded you to build the temple and to finish these walls? We also asked them their names to inform you that we might write the names of the men who were chief among them. And thus they returned us an answer, saying, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and completed. So here's got a history of, this, of the temple. But because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who was there before the Persians, who destroyed this temple and carried its people away, the people away to Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, he was actually a Persian who took over Babylon, right? King Cyrus issued a decree to build his house of God. Also, the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple that was in Jerusalem and carried into the temple of Babylon, those King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon, and they were given to one named Sheshbazar, who he had made governor. And he said to them, Take these articles, go carry them to the temple, site that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its former site. Then the same Sheshbazar came and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And from that time, even until now, it has been under construction, and it is not yet finished. Now, therefore, 
If it seems good to the king, let a search be made in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon, whether it is so that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to build this house of God at Jerusalem and let the king send us his pleasure concerning the matter. Three out of six, the letter to Darius. Keep in mind, Tatnai is a secular leader, but is impartial and, and uses great leadership skills. If you remember Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, not a believer either, maybe he becomes a believer, but he sees Moses, you know, Moses, everybody knows who Moses is, part of the Red Sea, and everybody's coming to Moses with their dispute. The children of Israel grow into the millions, they're, they're having civil disputes, criminal disputes, and Moses is day and night, he's handling these, he's like the Supreme Court, you know, or he's like every court. So Jethro says to him, Moses, you're going to burn yourself out. Find faithful men and have them almost be, in my words, become like the district courts, the state courts, the appellate courts, and you're, you're the Supreme Court. You know, If they can't figure it out through all these different faithful people, then it'll be appealed to you and you can make the final decision. Moses is like, great idea, and this is what Moses does. So what I'm trying to say is that Jethro, listen, as Christians, I know some awesome people that don't know the Lord that are very gifted, and I, I pray for them, you know, I'm like, wow, that would be great Christians if they just got saved, you know what I'm saying? And we can take that advice, we can, and God sometimes does that. So he, God gave a Jethro to a Moses. And Tatnai, you see the same qualities here. So the first thing in verse 8, Tatnai speaks about God, Yahweh, the God that we serve, as the great God. Is he a believer? Or is he just a work in progress? Or is he just very respectful and professional? You know? Second thing, in verse 11 on, we see he accurately chronicles the Israelites' defense. See, this is not a one-side political hatchet job. And unfortunately, in our nation, we become so polarized that you just see this. Can't anybody be, you know, just unbiased? You know, and this is what we're turning into. Here you ha and it's so funny, the hubris, the attitude sometimes of people today to ancient civilizations. Oh, they were so backwards. They were so this. Here's a guy who's completely unbiased, and, and he's got a good head on his shoulders, and he's trying to fit everybody's interests into the equation because you know what he wants? The best outcome. So if you ever get in to be a judge or a, you know, somebody in high authority, a governor or whatever, or even the president, maybe one day you'll remember this. And honestly, it pleases God when we're honest and we're unbiased. You know, that because we're a reflection of who he is. Well, that person's a Christian, man, they are so fair. Even if you don't like his or her... Um, judgments, you can say that person's a fair person. I, I just thought this was so timely because, you know, the election's coming up. And the government, you know. Three, the Israelites give an honest and humble history of how they lost the temple due to their own sins. This is, this is amazing too. And again, today it's, it's, you know, well, you can't catch me and I'm going to deceive you and you don't know all the things I did and, and this is the world we live in. You know, I mean, here, the children of Israel are saying, yeah, we sinned. We sinned big. They were transparent. Honesty is, is good. It's, like confession is good for the soul. Just that honesty, to walk in honesty. Yeah, we brought this on ourselves, our fathers, our, our grandfathers, uh, and you know, they give an accurate representation. They could have, they could have spun it to, to Tatanai to make themselves look a lot better, but they didn't. 
we're here because of what we did. Four, Tatnai tells Darius about the Cyrus decree to permit the Jews to go back and rebuild the temple and suggests King Darius check the archives for your, for your benefit so you can see who your predecessor, King Cyrus, what he did. And you can decide whether you want to honor that or not. Six, we continue. Chapter six, verse one. Then King Darius issued a decree and a search was made in the archives where the treasures were stored in Babylon. And at Achmetha, in the palace that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found and in it a record was written thus. So Darius does the right thing. He checks the archives. Now for those of you that, you know, again, I just love the history. I love the geography. I love ancient civilizations. I'm still so fascinated by it. But what's Media? Well, Persians were related to the Medians, and we're actually talking about ancient geography swath of land, which is mostly modern-day Iran. So the, the Medians were in control, the Persians rise up, and they take over from Media, and then they both join together. They amass this great army, and they're able to fight the Babylonians. So in some places in this monarchy, you had Persian records, you had Median records. So just so you know, it's the same thing. Verse 3. In the first year of King Cyrus, King Cyrus issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where they offered sacrifices, and let the foundations of it be firmly laid. Its height, 60 cubits, and its width, 60 cubits. Pretty big structure. Um, cubit being about a foot and a half with three rows of heavy stones and one row of new timber. Let the expenses be paid from the king's treasury and let the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple, which is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and taken back to the temple, which is in Jerusalem, each to its place and deposit them in the house of God. So Darius finds the document. He sees, wow, yeah, my predecessor, King Cyrus, maybe Darius was a little boy when Cyrus was in his later days, didn't really know him, um, know him well. Uh, Cyrus maybe passes, and several decades later, Darius becomes the king. And he's not, just, he's not familiar with all his predecessors' decrees and such, but he checks it out, and he realizes that, yeah, these things are true. Again, how do we know that the Bible's true, folks? Do a, do a study on the temple. It's still there. Pieces of the wall are still there. Pieces of the ruins are in the valleys. Um, the temple existed. It was built once, destroyed, built a second time, destroyed by the Romans, and pieces of it are still there. And that's why there's such tensions there, because you have to understand the history behind what happened. And the Middle Ages and messed everything up, and, and here we are today. Okay? Uh, was it two Sundays, last Sundays? I showed you the, the slide of the Cyrus Cylinder, which is some... Uh, it's amazing, because I do my research, and I'm like, oh, I never saw that before, the Cyrus... I was so excited, the Cyrus Cylinder, you know, and they find this thing in the desert, and it's in, you know, and they translate it, and it's like, wow, this was something that Cyrus, the king, had decreed, and now they have it in a museum in Iran. But hey, we're also seeing a lot of honesty in government here. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> yeah, I know. And, you know, it, it's, we really need to be praying for our nation, because you know, the, the idea of Lady Justice with the scales, she's supposed to have a blindfold. This party, that party, she's supposed to weigh it properly and decide and make the righteous decision. But unfortunately, Lady Justice is peaking um, in government, and things just don't seem fair. 
you can follow some of these uh, court decisions. I talked to you about the federal court, circuit court, district court. Um, there are some things that are really aimed at hurting the church, hurting the, the propagation of Christianity. But I, again, I don't worry about it. Um, it would be great if we had an honest government, you know, but listen, there's, our brothers and sisters are suffering in Syria and Iraq and parts of Africa and parts of Asia. We're the anomaly, you know, having the freedom to worship without government coming in and shutting us down. But little by little, the government is having things to say about what we preach. There was literally a Georgia pastor who, there was this thing, and they, the, the government asked him for his notes, his sermon notes, and they wanted to review his notes. And we're starting to see churches having to conform with certain government mandates in different states. This is going on in our very country, how the military and the chaplains are really being harassed about their faith and what they preach. And, you know, nobody, secular, true secular people don't want a, a risen Christ preached because your allegiance is always going to be to that risen Savior. And then the people are a lot harder to control. See what I'm saying? Governments, and you follow this, right? You follow the book of Revelation, our future. Governments, globalist governments, bringing, removing all borders, bringing all nations together so that the Antichrist, when he takes over, can have ultimate control over the masses. You give, I don't care, any man, I, and I say this for both parties, you leave somebody in office too long and they start to become corrupt. Um, it's very unusual for someone not to. Power and authority is like a drug. And you have this attitude, I'm better than everybody else. I should be leading the masses. I'm entitled to it. And that's a sickness. That's a depraved sickness that humans have, among other sicknesses. Um, so let me just tell you how I feel, if you don't mind for a minute. No, just kidding. <laughs> but this guy Tatani is a class act. You know, I hope he got saved at some point. Verse 6, we continue. Verse 6. Now therefore, Tatani, the governor of the region beyond the river, meaning the, Euph um, the Euphrates, that was the big river that really separated lands. It's actually today, it exists in Iraq still, the mighty Euphrates. And Sheshar, Shethar, Bosnai, and your companions, the Persians who are beyond the river, keep yourselves far from there. Let the work of this house of God alone, let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God on its site. Moreover, I issue a decree as to what you shall do for the elders of these Jews for the building of this house of God. Let the cost be paid at the king's expense from taxes on the region beyond the river. This is then to be given immediately to these men so that they are not hindered. And whatever they need, young bulls, rams, lambs for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the request of the priests who are in Jerusalem, let it be given them day by day without fail, that they may offer sacrifices of sweet aroma to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. I'll come back to that. Also, I issue a decree that whoever alters this edict, let a timber be pulled from his house and erected and let him be hanged on it and let his house be made a refuse heap because of this. And may the God who causes his name to dwell there destroy any king or people who put their hand to alter, who change this decree or to destroy this house of God, which is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, issue the decree, let it be done diligently. Four out of six, Darius the king, his response. Not only does he tell Tatnai, well, listen, I, I did search the archives. This is what I found. Right? We even covered the historical part of that in prior sermons. Um, you know, it's, it's history. He says, don't let anybody interfere. Furthermore, in verse 11, if anybody does interfere, 
let them take a timber from his own house and let him be hanged on it. An interesting note was the Persians were the early progenitors of crucifixion. It's amazing how history just all, all these attachments. The Romans took crucifixion and perfected it to a cruel science of extracting information and torture, but the Persians are the ones who really started this whole thing, and it's possible that you know, they're referring to crucifixion. Just a little historical note there. But here, and this is why when the Jews had to trust God, they were taking their life in their hands, but God said, keep building. I'll take care of the king. All right? When we talk about our brothers and sisters, Christians in Syria and other these places, when ISIS comes in and says, you know, convert or die, we'll kill you, a lot of them will not re relinquish their faith in Jesus, and they lose their life as a result of it. Um, only to be in glory right now. So in some places, to consider yourself a believer in God, uh, you really are taking your life into your own hands. But the Persians did find favor with the Jews and gave them uh, things that they can do uh, and help them out. Verse 10, the king says to pray for the life of himself and his sons. Now, remember, Darius took over. There was an imposter. He's assassinated. This is all secular history. And it's so cool how the Bible gives little details that confirm what history says. Um, Darius was probably thinking, wow, gee, I came into this. It was pretty messy. Uh, and he has children. And he's saying, you know, I, I, I accept your God. I understand who your God is. Hey, you guys can go build. Could you do me a favor while you're building? Would you pray for me and my sons? Because when you were a monarch, you know, there was executions. There was um, coups. And, you know, you still see that in certain countries. Hasn't come here yet, but who knows. Uh, but, so this is what's going on. Now, let me ask you a question. As a believer, you know, maybe you've been a believer for some time. Maybe your coworkers know you're a believer. I know it's happened to me. Have you ever had a coworker or a family member say, I'm going through something, or I know somebody who said, will you pray for me? And you know what I say? It's a great witnessing opportunity. I say, yes, I will. And you can have the same access that I do through Jesus Christ, who's my Lord and Savior. You can have that same access. So we don't want to get a big head and say, oh, of course he asked me. You know, it should be an open door to, to that person. Yes, I, I will make you feel better. I, I want to bless you. I want to bless your loved one who's suffering. But let me tell you that Jesus is for you as well. He died for your sins as well as mine. I just accepted it. It's up to you what you want to do with that information. Uh, and so that's what's happening. Verse 13, 13 through 15. Then Tatnai, governor of the region beyond the river, Shethar, Bosnai, and their companions diligently did according to what King Darius had sent. So the elders of the Jews built, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. And they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and later Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Sometimes you see ministries today that they want to just pack the house. They want to pack their churches, and they do. Because all they say is nice and sweet things. It was very important for the Jews that Haggai and Zechariah came and preached a little fire and brimstone. Sometimes we need that once in a while. Because what if they didn't? The Jews would be in serious disobedience, and maybe they would not have prospered at all. Maybe God would have just said, you know, I'm just done. I'm done. 
So, you know, sometimes we, even as individuals, we don't want to hear negative things. But sometimes we need to hear them. They're, they're for our own good. You know what I'm saying? I don't want people that surround me that, that just, just, whatever I say, oh, that's a great idea, Pastor Joe. Oh, that's a wonderful, that's a, what's the best idea I've ever heard? Sometimes the people that surround me saying, uh, I see the face, I'm like, make your case, <laughs> right? Don't I? I say, make your case, and they do. And many times they're right and I'm wrong. And we change things here. And that's the way we need to be. Proverbs 9 says that the wise man, the wise woman, listens to suggestions and sometimes acts on them. And as Christians, we shouldn't be that type of stubborn person that nobody can tell us anything. And that's a hard issue. That's really something that we have to look in our own heart and say, is that me? Right? So five out of six, the temple's finally completed. Nebuchadnezzar raised it to the ground, 586 B.C. or thereabouts, right around 515 B.C. or thereabouts, 70 years pass. First temple's destroyed, second temple's rebuilt. Last few verses, verse 16. Then the children of Israel, the priests, this is the fun part, and the Levites and the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. With joy. Maybe some of us have come from a religion where, you know, when you come to church, lose the smile (laughs) and don't laugh. Stop laughing. What are you doing? You know, and, and I don't understand that. Does that mean, it doesn't mean we're more holy. It doesn't mean we're more spiritual. And it just means that people from the outside don't want to come and join us because we're just a bore, you know. We're just lemon puss, sour faced Christians. I mean, that's not what God has called us to be. They celebrated with joy and they offered sacrifices at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and a sin offering for all Israel. 12 male goats according to the number of the tribes of Israel. They assigned the priests to their division and the Levites to their divisions over the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. And the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves, all of them were ritually clean, and they slaughtered the Passover lambs for all the descendants of the captivity, for their brethren the priests, and for themselves." Then the children of Israel who had returned from captivity ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. Our society is filled with filth. I'm going to tell you, and I, 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 my heart goes out to somebody who comes up to me and says, I'm, I'm caught up in something, a Christian. There are so many horrible influences in American culture. There's so many temptations. There's so much junk that you see on TV, in movies, on the internet, in society. Um, I just had to stop there for a minute. And honestly, it's heartbreaking. And sometimes we just have to separate ourselves from the filth. And every church has had to do this. Unfortunately, when Paul, the Apostle Paul, spoke to the Corinthian church, so much had stained them that he had a very rebuking message towards them. He was like, oh, it's, it's unrecognizable. Where's Jesus in his church? You know, and again, it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. Most of us, all of us are a work in progress. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. <laughs> For the Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Six out of six, the best part, 
celebration, joy. And for that person who walked in here who said, I got to get back on track, this is your moment. <laughs> this is your time. Smile. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Be happy. God loves you. All right, so there is, there is a time and a place for that type of message, but it can't be the whole sermon, okay? Um, you had the temple dedication, you had the sin offerings, you had the Passover celebration. There was a twofold significance. Number one, it was a mnemonic device, a mnemonic device. Today we understand that mnemonic device is something that we do, that when we do it, it reminds us of something else. It's a memory device. So the Passover, oh, let me continue. The second, so the mnemonic device, and two is a remediation for sin. And all pointed to this future Christ. Remember, Christ hadn't come down from heaven yet to this future Christ, from their perspective, who would fulfill both. So, mnemonic device. Passover. Unfortunately, a, a, a perfect, unblemished, innocent lamb had to die, and that blood would be put on the three portions of the doorway. So, when that last plague in Israel came, the plague of death, it would pass over. It would see the blood, and it would pass over. That's a mnemonic device. And you know what? The early church was almost 100% Jewish. Why? Because they understood the feast. They understood that everything that they did as observant Jews pointed to the future Jesus, the future Messiah. We even look at communion. Today we're going to partake of communion. It's a mnemonic device. What does that mean? When we partake of the bread, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. So you can't forget Jesus in the communion unless you're really botching it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When we partake of the drink, we remember the, his shed blood. It doesn't magically become something. It's a, it's a memory tool. And what we do is when we partake of communion, we remember what the Lord did for me as an individual. Now we can claim individuality. Self is good here. Because he died for me personally, as well as all of you. But we also look forward to his coming again in glory. And that's what I talked about in, in my opening. Verse 16, the word dedication in Hebrew is none other than the word Hanukkah. Some 300 years from this point, the Jews would celebrate the rededication after the profaning of it by the um, Antiochus Epiphanes, that wicked anti-Semitic leader. I'll leave you off with three things and then we'll close. We see three things in verse 22. Number one, the Lord made them joyful. Joyful. Getting back with God. He's going to be mad at me. No, he's not. You're making an effort to get back with him. You know, it's a blessing for him that you're restored, and it's a blessing for you that you're restored. Two, he inclined the king towards them, towards the Jews. So their fears and worries were never realized. Jesus is very strong when he tells believers not to worry, not to fear. That's not from God. Trust God. And three, God strengthened their hands. There was a, a, a physical and emotional and a spiritual deliverance and victory. You know? I mean, when you're celebrating, it, it's, it's good for everything. It's good for your body. It's good for your spirit. It's good for your psyche. Right? All the studies that say, and I've read these, that positive people, they try to see the good in everything and not the negative in everything, that they, they're more healthy. The chemicals, the hormones, it's, there's actually literally a change in the brain and in the body, in the endocrine system. It really changes things. Isn't it great to get back on track with God? You know, we're not perfect. We're going to go through these ups and downs as believers. 
The children of Israel got distracted. Trials, temptations, apathy, backsliding, lack of priorities. Pastor Paul, consider your ways. Uh, Haggai 1, one of the big things was a lack of priorities. When God has always put down the fourth, fifth, sixth, tenth, well, as, as believers, we're not going to be fulfilled because that's not where he belongs. It's no different today. I just want to say this, that if this is you, there's no shame in it. Right? Just make that commitment. Just move forward. Live in the present. Don't live in the past. And let me encourage you further. God didn't hold a grudge against the children of Israel. He didn't do it. Right? He forgave them. They repented. He forgave them. And it's going to be the same with you and I. Right? So let me encourage you again. Taste the fruit of a restored relationship with the Lord. The children of Israel did. They didn't regret it, and you won't regret it. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.